Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. This week is kind of part two to last week. Last week we talked about God's peace in the midst of our storms. This week we're going a little bit further with the storm analogy, and we're gonna talk about the wilderness. And the difference between a storm and a wilderness season, here's how I would describe it. A a storm can be a difficult circumstance that takes some time to work through. But a wilderness, here's how I would describe a wilderness. It's a season with several storms, and, and oftentimes happening simultaneously. Now, how many of us have ever been through a wilderness season before? Okay, just put your hand up. Look around, all right? How many, of you, how many of you would say, I feel like I'm in a wilderness season right now? Just put your hand up, okay? How many would say, I've never been through a wilderness? Don't put your hand up, but know this, your wilderness season is right around the corner, okay? I'm such an encourager, aren't I? And those of you who are hearing that, you're thinking, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. Get thee behind me, Satan, Listen, one of the reasons that you might be thinking that is because you have an incorrect perspective of what God does in the wilderness. And the title of this message is The Why Behind a Wilderness. I'm going to give you several things that God loves to do during the wilderness seasons of our lives. But I do want to address address this before we jump into this, because you might be going through a wilderness season right now. And you're beating yourself up a little bit because you think it's because you've done something bad or you are bad. And let me just help you understand something. Bad people don't go through the wilderness. God's people do. The reason you're in a wilderness season is not because you're bad or you've done something bad. It's because God is after something. He's doing something in you. All right? So don't own it as though you're so bad and that's why you're in the wilderness. No, some of God's best work is done in the wilderness and I can prove it to you. If you just read through scripture, some of the most incredible seasons of ministry on the earth were preceded by some of the nastiest wilderness seasons. I'll just show you two examples of wilderness before impactful ministry. Two of the first people mentioned in the New Testament, John the Baptist and Jesus. Look in Luke chapter 1, verse 80, what scripture says about John the Baptist. John grew up and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness. This is where he became strong in spirit and grew up in the wilderness until he began his public ministry in Israel. The wilderness was the place God used to prepare John the Baptist to be the forerunner for the Savior, the Son of God. Matthew chapter four, verse one, speaking of Jesus after his baptism, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. The wilderness is not a curse. But many of us, when we think about the wilderness seasons of our lives, it's something we curse about. We complain a lot about. And here's how you know that you see the wilderness seasons of your life incorrectly or improperly, you have the number one habit, whining. You whine your way through the wilderness God is calling you to war through. 
It's one of the, the easiest ways to know if you have an improper perspective of the wilderness. But if that's you, I won't say you're in good company, but I will say you, you are not the only one to feel that way about the wilderness. Look in Numbers chapter 16, verse 13. Listen to the way the Israelites were talking to God about the wilderness. They say this to God, isn't it enough that you brought us out of Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us here in this wilderness? Think about the silliness of this statement. They are in the wilderness on the way to the land flowing with milk and honey. And here's how jacked up their perspective of the wilderness is. They're pointing back to the land of their slavery and calling that the land of milk and honey. Why? Because they so improperly saw the wilderness that it caused them to look at one of the worst seasons of their lives and say, that was heaven, this is hell. Okay, listen, when God is at work in your life, no matter how tough things get, Never call that a personal hell. Some of God's greatest work is done in the most difficult seasons of our lives. Now, one of the the beautiful things about the picture of the Israelites coming out of Egypt and wandering through the wilderness before the promised land is I believe it points to part of God's process for us. First, God takes you out of Egypt. Then God takes you through a wilderness to take Egypt out of you. Yeah, that's nasty. Let me help you understand something about freedom. Freedom isn't you getting out of Egypt. Real freedom that Christ died to give you is getting all of Egypt out of you. And the best place to do that, unfortunately, is wandering through the wilderness. Let's look at the first why behind a wilderness God leads us through. Point number one, because crutches are killed in the wilderness. Why do we have to go through a wilderness season? One of the biggest reasons, because crutches are killed in the wilderness. Look in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse two. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you. You. Okay, stop there because there's, not all of us really see this word testing and understand it, all right? The Bible is very clear that God tests us, but he doesn't tempt us. The devil tempts us, but he doesn't test us, all right? Let me help you understand the difference between the two. A test is an opportunity with the goal of success. When God tests you, he is giving you an opportunity to succeed or be promoted, to graduate, So instead of complaining about said test, we need to celebrate any time God tests us because a test is a God-given opportunity with the goal of success. God's not trying to fail you. That's why he gives you the opportunity to keep retaking the test until you ace it. The devil, on the other hand, will tempt you. Temptation is an opportunity with the goal of failure. God, through testing you, is trying to get the best out of you. The devil, through temptation, is trying to put the worst into you. Keep going, Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse two. 
The Lord led you through these 40 years, humbling you and testing you. Why did he test you? To prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Now, let me draw attention in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, to a couple of very important words. Because many of us, anytime wilderness is in a verse, we get distracted by that. And we don't pay as much attention to the really important words. Here, what I believe to be some of the most important words in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. The Lord your God led you through the wilderness. I get it. The wilderness is a frustrating place to live life. It can be awful at times. I get it. But you know what's worse than a wilderness God leads you through? A wilderness he doesn't lead you through. You ever been through one of those? That is miserable. But see, many of us, even when God is leading us through the wilderness, we're still so frustrated because we're in the wilderness. But I personally believe we need to step back and instead of fixating our gaze on the conditions of the wilderness, we should begin to celebrate the fact that God has gone ahead of us and is leading us through. God doesn't just lead us into the wilderness. He leads us through the wilderness. Now, I know how some of your minds are working right now. And you're thinking, well, I don't like wilderness season. So Preston, can you just cut to the chase and tell me how to speed up God's time clock in the wilderness? Sure, absolutely. It's really simple. You gotta kill all your crutches. One of the fastest ways to speed up a wilderness season is to literally destroy all of your crutches. Let me explain. Years ago, when I was walking through what to this point in my life has been the worst wilderness season I've been through so far. I didn't know it was coming to an end, but it, it was about to. And at the end of this wilderness season, I, I happened to be interviewing with the biggest church in the country to be their student ministry pastor. So they flew Holly and me to their city and, and gave us a tour of their campus. And their campus was a former basketball stadium. It had 16,000 seats, auditorium, and I didn't know it, but two days before we left, my appendix ruptured. I was in unbelievable pain taking this tour. Now, why couldn't I have been touring the smallest church in the country whose tour lasted 25 seconds? Why did I have to be on a tour of the biggest church in the country at the time, and it still is, and the tour took like 40 days? And with each step, I am in more and more pain, and I'm trying to hide it. Obviously, we didn't accept the job. We went back to Dallas. The next morning, I woke up and I could not raise up past this right here. I was in debilitating pain. Hadn't gone to the bathroom, even to try, hurt. I, I mean, it was awful. Holly takes me to the emergency room and the doctor in the emergency room at this hospital happened to go to Gateway in Dallas and his kids had been in the youth ministry. So we had a good relationship. He wheels me back and does a scan and we're uh, getting the results of the scan and he walks in and he says this, Preston, you are either the toughest person I've ever met or you are the dumbest person I've ever met. <laughs> My wife, Holly, without hesitation says, he's both. <laughs> I mean, I'm in pain and she, she's just kicking me while I'm down. And they got a chuckle out of it. I said, what's going on? He said, Preston, you have an abscess the size of a Volkswagen inside of your body. Your appendix rupture. He said, Preston, do you realize people go septic if they let this go too long and can die? 
And so that makes me feel so much better because I thought I was just passing kidney stones. I, this, this has been so painful. I haven't gone to the bathroom. He goes, yeah, because you, you're going septic. So they took me in, did the surgery, had to stay in the hospital for over a week, and I let all that junk get out of my body. And after the fifth day, he comes into my hospital room and he says, Fresson, you're not going to be able to leave this hospital until you can walk. So my sweet, empathetic wife, who is also very competitive, you give her a goal, she will knock you out of the way to achieve that goal, all right? The second the doctor put that in front of her, it was like her eyes lit up and she's like, get up, let's go, let's go. I'm like, woman, I don't, I don't want to go. Get up now, let's go. So I get up and I have the IV and listen, I, if you think your wilderness season is bad, I'm not saying it's not, but the reason I was in that wilderness is my pride was probably some of the worst on the planet at the time. And so my, my wilderness got really ugly at the end. I mean, I, the nurse one, one day tripped over my IV and ripped my IV out of my arm. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I, I honestly think I'm the only person God has ever laughed during a moment like that over. He <laughs> was like, huh, see, <laughs> see? After I got out of the hospital, I was still in such pain. After a week, I went back to the ER and got in the robe that shows, you know, the back half. And I'm laying on a hospital bed and they tell me I just need more time. The infection was just so bad. But while I was in the ER, I picked up a flesh-eating staph infection that literally left scars in my hindquarters to this day. Again, I think God was going, ha, 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 ha. Don't do this again, Preston. I, I mean, he knocked my knees out. I'm not saying that God, uh, you, you know I'm being playful, but my pride was really, really bad. And so he, he was making a point. He stands alone and I don't come close to where he stands. And so after two days of walking in the hospital and I'm, I would hold on to the IV you know, pole and then I would drape my arm around my wife and put all my weight and we'd just walk around. Well, the doctor saw this one day and he said, Preston, you're not gonna get out of the hospital until you can walk by yourself. Again, my sweet empathetic wife turned into Attila the Hun in that moment. She says, get up, let's go for a walk. I grab the IV pole, I start doing this, and she didn't, she didn't come to my side. <laughs> she walks around this side, grabs the IV pole out of my hand and stands behind me and gives me a push. I said, woman, what are you doing? She said, babe, you have got to start walking without me. You need to do this by yourself. I wish this story had a sweet pastoral side, but I, it was a little moment, not going to lie. I looked at that woman and I said, you know what you need to do all by yourself? You need to be married all by yourself. <laughs> I'm going to go find a nurse who will help take care of me while I'm in pain. You know what she did? She pushed me. Why? Because my wife knew. The sooner I let go of my crutches, the faster that season would come to an end. This is a principle in the wilderness. I know if you're in the wilderness right now, you may feel like God's trying to kill you. The wilderness is not the place where God sends you to die. The wilderness is the place where your flesh goes to die. That's a part of what God is trying to do in this wilderness in your life. And the greater the death 
end the wilderness, the stronger your strength when you walk out of it. So the big question, what's a crutch? A crutch is a plan B that you've turned into a plan A when God doesn't do what you want him to do. Plan B, you turn into a plan A. What's a crutch sound like? Kind of sounds like this. You ask God to do something for you in the wilderness, he doesn't do it, and you say the following. Well, God, if you're not gonna do this for me, and if you're not at least gonna make me feel better during this difficult time, that's fine. You know what'll make me feel better? You know what's gonna comfort me when you should? That bottle of wine is gonna make me feel better. God, if you're not gonna comfort me during this difficult time, you know what's gonna comfort me? That affair sure will. God, if you're not gonna promote me where I feel like I'm supposed to be, you know what'll do that for me? If I fudge those numbers in that report, if I lie on my resume, that'll do it for me. Listen, a crutch is anything you think will make you feel better when God doesn't come through. And that is a crutch which must be killed. You will never get out of the wilderness until you can do so without a plan B. Here's another way to say it. God doesn't want you leaning on anyone or anything but him. He's the one. And so what he does in the wilderness seasons in our lives, he, he's kind of that punk kid a little bit who comes behind you and kicks out the crutches and says, hey, Preston, it's for your good. Don't lean on anything other than me. The wilderness is where crutches are meant to be killed. Here's the second why behind the wilderness. Because appetites are altered in the wilderness. Why does God send us through the wilderness? Because appetites are altered there. Keep going in verse three of Deuteronomy eight. Yes, God humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna. See, a lot of us stop at letting you go hungry. God, God made me go hungry. He's starving me to death. No, the wilderness is not where God starves you to death. The wilderness is where God starves you to life. Look at him. He humbled you by letting you go hungry and then fed you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. Why did he do this? To teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, let me define what an appetite is. An appetite is a godly craving in you that can easily turn into a deadly weapon against you if you don't control it. Now, how can an appetite be deadly? Here's how. The devil will use your appetite as his angle. That's why you have to know your appetites. How many of you have learned that when your flesh gets a little bit hungry, the devil will gladly bring you a meal. You ever notice that? And he doesn't just stop at bringing you a meal. He doesn't bring just any meal. What does he do? He brings your flesh its favorite meal and he just sets it in front of you, tempting you, trying to get your flesh to bite. Go all the way back to Adam and Eve. This is the perfect picture of a godly appetite that the devil uses as a deadly weapon. Think about it. Within Adam and Eve was a desire to be just like God. That's not wrong. That's not bad. They were made in his image, just like you are. They had within them this desire to be like him. And the more they were around him, the more they wanted to be like him. And that's exactly what the enemy used to get Eve to bite. 
He took a godly appetite, came at an angle, spun it just a little bit. She wasn't trying to be better than God. She was trying to be like God. Now, I'm, I'm not qualifying her sin. I'm telling you, the devil does this with all of us. He takes a godly appetite and he twists it to try and harm us. Now, many of us, when we think about the devil attacking us, we think about an army with thousands of warriors coming against us. But here's what I would say related to that. It's easier to see the army with which the enemy comes against us than it is to see the angle by which he approaches us. We've got to understand the angles. Another way to say it is the blind spots. Now, let me play devil's advocate for a minute, literally. If I were the devil, if I were your enemy, I would not come at you with thousands of warriors by my side. You'd see that coming, and you'd enlist the help of the church to fight against it. So I wouldn't do it like that. Nor would I come at you head on. If I was trying to take you out and I were the devil, you know what I would do? The same thing he does. I'd watch you. I'd watch you for a long time. I'd watch what your appetites were. And I would watch until I saw your flesh reach for the same meal in low and difficult moments. And I'd use that appetite as my angle to come at you. Listen, this is one of the reasons why we have to monitor every appetite in our lives. Because when an appetite is not monitored, it can quickly become unhealthy. And when an unhealthy appetite exists, it is easy for the devil to take advantage of it. So how do we make sure that our appetites in every area of life are in a healthy place? Let me give you two really simple ways. And, and here's the why behind it so you can fill this one-liner in. The healthier your appetite, the harder it is for the enemy to hitch his angle to your appetite. That's the why behind fighting for healthy appetites. Now let me give you two ways that really can help you have healthy appetites in every area of life. Here's the first one. When his word becomes more important to you than your wants. This one appetite for God's word can help calibrate and, and protect and make healthy all the other appetites in your life. When you want his word more than you want what you want. If I followed you around for seven days, what would I see more of in your life? You wanting stuff? Or are you digging into his word? When his word becomes more important to you than your wants, it doesn't just affect that appetite, it seeps into all the others. Here's another big way to really keep your appetites healthy. When your praise to him becomes more important than your presence from him. Here's another way to say that. When your worship trumps your wants. When God's word and your appetite for God's word trumps your wants. And when your worship, word and worship, word and worship, word and worship. I do not know where I would be without Jesus Christ. What he did for me on that cross. God's word and the worship of our God. I do not know where I would be. Worship and the word. See, sometimes, this is what I love about fasting, by the way. Fasting helps to train us and help us understand that if I can say no to one thing, I can say no to anything. 
This is why fasting is so important. One of the big reasons, it's not just about going without, because if you have a struggle in your life and you can't say no to something, pick something else. If you're struggling in this area, fast in this area. Teach yourself. If you can say no to anything, you can say, if you can say no to this thing, you can say no to anything. It's a simple principle. But we're, we're starving unhealthy appetites and we're protecting the godly cravings that he's given us. God isn't starving us in the wilderness. He's trying to starve our flesh. That brings us to the third why behind a wilderness, because preparations are made in the wilderness. Keep going in Deuteronomy 8, now in verse 4. For all these 40 years, God says, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. Verse four, this is nasty. For all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. You know what God's saying? Let me just give you kind of the press and living translation paraphrase here. He's saying, listen, press, I understand this wilderness has been miserable for you. And I know you've hated so much of this. But don't get so focused on the conditions of the wilderness that you forget how faithful I have been every step of the way as your father. Your clothes never wore out. Son, I've taken care of you. I've watched over you because I'm the one leading you through this wilderness. Now, verse six is nasty, nasty. And if you're in a wilderness season right now, I believe this is a prophetic passage for you. You just need to hear your heavenly father speak this, not just to you, but over you. So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It is a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees and pomegranates, of olive oil and honey, it's a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. Nothing is lacking in the land of God's promise. Nothing. No matter how much is lacking in the wilderness right now, nothing is lacking where he is leading. Now, some of us are looking at this wilderness and calling it a barren wasteland because that's what it feels like. Let me just give you a piece of advice. The wilderness is not a wasteland. It's a womb. And never look at a womb where God is bringing something to life in your own life. Never look at that womb and call it barren. Never. You may not be able to see the life coming forth. That doesn't mean life isn't coming forth. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He is doing something. Don't look at this womb called the wilderness and call it a barren wasteland. What you call a wilderness, God calls a womb. The wilderness is the womb of your most expedient development. But preparation is a process that takes time. Well, Preston, why is this taking so long? God, why is this taking so long? I'm ready for this to be done. What's the holdup? Let me tell you, there's a simple answer to that question of why things are taking so long. You, me. If it were someone else, it'd probably be over by now. 
but you know how messed up you are just like I know how messed up I am. Listen, some of us take a long time just to get ready for church. How much longer do you think we would take to get ready for the land of God's promise? Preparation is one of the most beautiful things God does in our lives, but because we get so impetuous and we get so impatient, this beautiful work of preparation becomes something we curse, and even worse, something we stop submitting to. God prepares us in the wilderness. One of the best parts about God's preparation is no no matter how long it's taking you to get prepared, God takes that same amount of time preparing that place for you. The promise God's given you has not become an afterthought in his mind. He's just getting everything ready in you and in it. God proves that your promise is not an afterthought in this. While he's preparing you for it, he's also preparing it for you. Look in Exodus 23, verse 20. Listen to what God says to the Israelites. He says, see, I'm sending an angel before you to protect you on your journey and lead you safely to the place I have prepared for you. What a beautiful statement. God is purposefully preparing this place for you. Look in the New Testament, the way Jesus talks about his father and ours. John 14, verse two. Jesus says, there's more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, in other words, when I'm done preparing for you, I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. That is a phenomenal passage right there. Think about this. God sent his son Jesus to the earth to die for you. And once he died for you and was raised to new life for you, he sent Jesus back to heaven to prepare a place for you and sent the Holy Spirit down to earth to prepare you for that place. Our God is a God of preparation. Why, Preston? Just tell me why, because I'm sick of being prepared. Let me tell you why. Because God's goal for you is not simply to arrive at the land of his promise. God's goal is for you to remain in the land of his promise. And I'm not talking about heaven, I'm talking about here on earth. The only way to be able to remain is to be prepared to stay. Some of us are so sick of the prep time. We just wanna get there, take an Instagram photo and be done. God says, no, 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 I don't do IG in heaven. I'm an eternal God, not an Instagram God. Nothing wrong with Instagram, but you know what I'm talking about. God doesn't want you to get to the land of his promise and go, made it. He wants you to move in and remain there until he calls you to heaven. That cannot happen without preparation. The way to stay in the land where nothing is lacking, is to master life in the land where nothing is living. It's a high call and a big challenge. But you can't graduate to the promised land until you learn how to win in the wilderness. Don't hate the game. 
hate the player. <laughs> Don't hate the game. Because God's using this wilderness season like surgery to remove those things that you want out of you anyways. Do you want to move into the land of the promise, limping with things God tried to get off of you that you've been leaning on for years? No, you don't. You want to be able to run in and lean only on him. There's a purpose for this wilderness. And you may not know it for years. Truth be told, you really don't need to understand the literal why behind your wilderness. You just need to do something about the reasons why God takes all of us through. Kill your crutches, alter every appetite, and stop fighting his process of preparation. Because some of his best work in your life is done in the wilderness. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.